We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Rangers McBasketball. Tim, we are back after a little break for the All-Star break. Lakers were back last night as well. We're recording this Friday afternoon before the Spurs game. Come join us on Playback if you want to watch that with me later. Tim, the Lakers lost to the Dubs last night, but one of the most injured games uh, in their season so far. No LeBron, no Wood somehow got hurt or (laughs) was not available post-All-Star break, which Jovan had a funny... (laughs) Uh, tweet about the Lakers being the first team to get less healthy as the all-star break <laughs> comes to the other side. So yeah, no wood, no LeBron. We had cam out still no Vando and no Vincent. So I hate to keep uh, pulling the, the rip cord of the Lakers are hurt and need to get healthy, but somehow it got worse and they just didn't have enough to take it to the Warriors. Yeah. It's uh, it's really frustrating. I don't, I don't know how you have guys get injured. Not, playing and and i get people being frustrated that lebron did play in the all-star game it's the all-star game uh you know it's a a fun thing to be a part of it seems like it wasn't the cause of what happened with him but of course you know we're at a point in the year with where the standings are and how many games are left you need lebron for every game or every game possible and so if what he did at the all-star game contributed towards him not playing in the golden state game and that may have swung an outcome like that's that's really big. And so I understand frustration from folks. But yeah, it's been it's been rough, Tom. I've been tracking in you and I because uh, we didn't do this from the very beginning of the season. But at a certain point, we started compiling this information and the two of us grabbed all that. And then since then, I've just grabbed it a game at a time. Looking at the average number of missed rotation players due to injury, it's gone up. It's gone down at different points in the year. Right now, it's at the highest it's been all season. Over the past 10 games, the Lakers have been missing 3.7 rotation players on average. And over the past nine games, they've missed 3-4, 3-3, 4-4-4, 5-5. Four, 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 five, five. 
sounds like I'm doing radio <laughs> and you should give that number a call. Somehow they're six and three during that nine game stretch, which is yeah. pretty impressive for how many guys, guys, how many guys they've had out. And it speaks to, I mean, the fact that you inserted Dinwiddie into things definitely helps because now you just have an extra body and he's a solid player. And the scheme has been really cooking recently. Three of the past four games at a 57% organized offense rate or higher. We've got a couple 55s in there within that nine game stretch. So the scheme is, is moving in the right direction and it's helped hold things together a little bit. But uh, this team has to get healthy. They've got to get healthy soon because it is a really rough stretch to end this year in terms of who you're playing, not necessarily where you're playing the games. But, uh, man, uh, first game out of the All-Star break with another, you know, extra injuries is is really a, a blow for this team. And I think that was a potentially winnable game, but ended up getting away from the team. We'll talk about it. But, uh, you know, the first of many tough games remaining. Yep, they are. Now 30 and 27, there are 25 games remaining. They do have the advantage to have a lot more home games than away games, and they have a away game at the Clippers. So free home game as usual for the Lakers. But yeah, you got to kind of at least find that rhythm and consistency on offense through your scheme, which you know we've been tracking. You do such a great job over that stretch, or kind of recently, they have been executing good scheme and I think last night uh, without LeBron, the scheme looked good for the first half and the second half, things started to get kind of mucked up as the Warriors started to adjust. So I don't know. What did you see from the scheme last night? And was Lakers running anything new with Dinwiddie or, you know, how does Dinwiddie kind of affect that their offense lately? We're not seeing what I was a little worried about, which was you insert this new guy and then all of a sudden you're not running plays. We saw the, the first game, the volume not be super high, but they were still able to run a bit and just had him more as a spot-up guy while he was still learning everything. It's it's a lot easier to learn, hey, go stand in the corner, than, hey, we're going to have this set up before your pick and roll. Here's the read you need to make. And so we've seen him go from being around as the team's running plays to now being you know more towards the center of the action within some of the plays relatively quickly. And, and that's a credit to him. He's done a really good job from my perspective, learning the playbook. And we haven't seen the Lakers dumb things down. We haven't seen them only go to a handful of plays. They're continuing to leverage those, you know, top 20, 25 things they like to go to. And he's fit in well within that and has operated well. Last night, we saw, very interesting to me, the organized offense was at a, a pretty good rate, 57%. That's really solid. That's, that's really good. If we can do 57% every game, rest of the season, sign me up. That would be, you know, quite high compared to what we've seen so far this season. That's like a top 10 number. Throughout the game, the expected points per possession the Lakers generated within their organized offense was, you know, 1.05 in the first quarter. That's solid. 1.01 in the second quarter. That's good. 1.04 in the third quarter. That's solid. Fourth quarter. I know there's some garbage time in there. 1.29. Phenomenal. So how did you have such a bad offensive game despite, you know, running offense, running organized offense a bunch and it's succeeding. Well, we actually saw a, a season low in the efficiency and expected efficiency of the freelance offense, which in general, you know, I prefer one over the other, but usually it's not this bad. We, we saw the Lakers really, really struggle when they were just out there, you know, going to random post-ups or ball screens or trying to ISO without that structure around it. 
And, you know, first quarter, 0.53 expected points per possession. Horrible. 0.85 in the second quarter, that's like bad, but a more normal bad. 0.78 in the third quarter, same thing. And then down to 0.59 in the fourth quarter. So just, just truly, you know, repulsive stuff. And overall, that resulted in the team's effectiveness offensively really dipping a bit. They scored well in transition. They were able to get out in transition. But it's, uh, you know, even though they called a bunch of plays and they worked well, we still saw the overall offense held down because the freelance just could not get going. In terms of what they ran, I thought the Lakers did a pretty good job targeting when Golden State ran drop. They had a lot of their horns uh, flare action where you've got the two screeners the ball handler uses, you know, runs off the one screen and then that guy who just set the screen then receives a flare screen from the other screener that wasn't used. That worked well. The Lakers used that for Prince a couple times. We saw double drag Oklahoma for only the second time this season where you have the two ball screens and then the second screener then sets a, a, a pin down screen for the first screener. So same sort of concept as the horns flare, but the guy is running towards the ball handler instead of away from them. Uh, but again, it's those two screeners screening for each other. So we saw a bit of that. We saw the Lakers continue to operate well out of those early, like I've called them tight pin downs because they've got the wide pin downs where you've got a guy coming out of the corner. We've seen a lot more with the Lakers getting a guy at the wing coming off a pin down and then either driving or flipping the ball back to the original ball handler. And then maybe they get a ball screen or maybe they'll pretend to flip it back to that original guy and then turn the corner, which we saw a couple times. Uh, the Lakers have so many looks out of that one series. And I actually want to do my next film room session on this series because I think it's been beautifully built up. You've got counters for everything. You've got it plays that attack every coverage within it. And so it is a staple that you can go to regardless of what the defense is doing. And we saw the Lakers have good success with that in this matchup as they have had in a number of games recently. So I think we're f seeing them find their bread and butter. We're seeing them fill in the holes playbook wise in terms of, Oh no, we don't have stuff to attack drop coverage, which was a big concern of mine a month ago. And once this team gets healthy, I expect even better results, but even right now they're generating really good looks while missing a number of players. It felt like a, a problem of shot making last night in particular. Mm -hmm. They just, couldn't make the shots and we've seen that game play out dozens of times it feels like this season uh in a lot of these losses that the shot making is just not quite there the quality's there you know there's a there's good defensive effort and you know D'Lo is, is trying to be more aggressive i thought he was really good in that first quarter getting to the rim he had some nice finishes uh not settling for that mid-range jumper which is always there for him really if he wants it but just wasn't as aggressive. They kind of took him out of the game, started to be a lot more physical with him on the ball. And with no LeBron, you know, 128 points. I thought the Lakers played more or less good defense. The Warriors made some tough shots. So partly concerned there for a little bit, Tim. And I guess this transition into Dinwiddie and the rotation that they did have. Dinwiddie kind of came in there for a little bit, got some possessions on Steph. Going back and looking at it, it wasn't as much as I thought watching it live, but they did plague Dinwiddie on Steph while Austin was on the court. I, I do, Defensively, does Dinwiddie make sense as a point of attack anymore? And is that just kind of, you know, maybe a handful of plays that spare Austin some some rest on the defensive end? Or is this maybe more indicative of how Tam sees 
Dinwiddie, you think? I think it could be a mix. We haven't seen, like, over these three games, a ton of Dinwiddie point of attack time. Like, he's done it, uh, and he's probably done it more than I was expecting to see. I want to guess, collect more info and see how it looks. Right now, the team is missing a lot of their on-ball defenders, or at least they had been. Now they've got Christie back, and we saw him get some time on Steph. But yeah, down Vando, down Reddish, down Christie prior to the break, we saw more Dinwiddie on ball, and I didn't, I wasn't necessarily surprised by that, just given who was available. Seeing him take a turn on Steph yesterday was surprising to me, but. I think you're onto something when you bring up saving Austin's legs a little bit. Steph isn't just someone that you have to defend in ball screens. He's sprinting around constantly off ball. And so defensively, that is a really, really tough thing, even if you're well conditioned to be able to keep up and, and do well with for extended periods of time. If I were putting Dinwiddie on Steph, I think it would be, you know, I'd try to time it up in lineups where it makes more sense to be switchy because he has a little bit more size than Austin, even though I think they're technically the same list height. He's got a little bit more length. He's got more weight than him. And I thought there were a number of plays where he switched and did a good job getting underneath the role man and took away the role. And so I was impressed by what I saw from Dinwiddie when he was switching, but that's not what they did every time with him. We actually saw a couple of plays where he was needing to navigate around several ball screens and fell behind the play a little bit. Now he is you know, he does have that length. We did see one high ball screen where he was able to, it looked like he might've fouled Steph. They didn't call it, but he was heavily contesting the shot in that rear view mirror, which is something the Lakers haven't had great defense from Austin and D'Lo with so far this year. So like Dinwiddie's not a bad defender. He's not a great defender, but he's got some length. And so I understand why his overall impact metrics are, you know, around average which is a bit better than Austin and D'Lo so far this season. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not a strategy I think I'd be going with, except for in those switching situations, which he did well with, or if you're hedging, which we also saw a bit of. But if you're in drop, it seems like a lot to put on him from a screen navigation standpoint and not really his area of strength if we're thinking about using each of our tools in the toolkit to you know do what they're best at. Yeah, I mean, you saw him. I think he had a couple of possessions in the post, at least one against, I think it was Wiggins or Kaminga. Actually pretty stout, like pretty thick dude, hard to move, you know, not ideal what you want possession after possession. But I'm more thinking, Tim, it's one thing if you're, you know, running screens and and trying to target Dinwiddie, if that's what you want to do, if you're Golden State and bring him up to the point of attack. That's fine. If you're in a switching defense, you want to target that. That's what you're doing. It's more about kind of the starting point that the Lakers are choosing, right, with their scheme. And I'm unpacking it like it is overreaction theater because it's how many minutes has Dinwiddie played for the Lakers? Like 70 so far, but less. But trying to unpack it like it's the beginning of the season for him and, and how Ham's deploying him at least. And would like to see more of that switchiness when he's out there because I think it's a balance between trying to have that switchy lineup. But I also felt like... Like at the end, uh, AD was switching on this to Curry a little too easy. So I don't know. Maybe a question for me is how do you find that balance of trying to not allow the switch too easy for a mismatch and keeping AD in the paint while switching while around the perimeter and all that? Yeah, it's and I need to I should probably map this out at some point, because I think for me, my my brain goes through sort of like a flow chart of 
all right, well, what's our personnel? What am I worried about from the other team's standpoint? Like it's Steph Curry, you, you've got to be at the level of the screen. And so you can do that by switching. You can do that by soft hedging, hard hedging, blitzing, or in like a high drop. And if he is going to be smart about dragging that out laterally, kind of going left, right across the court, if you're in drop, your your responsibility is defending the rim. So you're you're not really able to continue containing and at that point you may consider if they do that a couple plays in a row and our screen navigation's tough and that results in neither of the two defenders sticking with him because ad's trying to get back and defend the role man then maybe you do need to make a shift and decide to hard hedge or switch uh, against a team like golden state that is so good with their shooting and their cutting and like draymond green as a playmaker is hacking a 4v3 like between the personnel they have in the jobs that they put them in and how they position their players, this is probably like over the past decade, this has been the best team in the league in terms of attacking 4v3. So I don't like hedging against Golden State. We said that pre series in the playoffs last year. Like that is, it, it didn't go well in this game. Golden State has the right personnel and they also ran some good concepts to attack that. They flipped ball screens. They ran double drag or Chicago actions to get double screens to make it easier for their role meant to get to open space. They ran ball screens with single tag side. So if you did need those back end rotations, it wasn't a guy who had another defender to help him and take his man. It was one guy needing to defend two players. Um, They had weak side action, which compromises those help side rotations. And so all of that, plus the Lakers having small lineups. So like even when guys were on time, they're, you know, just uh, Golden State was absorbing contact from Max Christie or Torian Prince or whoever Austin Reeves at the rim and finishing through them because, you know, they're guards. And so hedging is not great. Um, the drop thing with AD, I thought he did a really nice job being at the level of the screen. Golden State started setting ball screens even higher and Steph got a couple off and hit some really, really tough ones. But for the most part, AD was there to take away the immediate pull up or contest it. And he was able to kind of defend the role man and the ball handler as we heard him talk about preferring. And we talked about this last pod on that podcast he did with D'Lo. But when you sub Jackson Hayes in those situations, he can't do that. And we saw him get cooked in those situations because that's not what he's good at. And so for me, if you can get away with drop because the other, you know, let's say it's Rajon Rondo instead of Steph Curry. Great. He's not a great pull-up shooter. We're, We're okay with that. Or if it is... I don't know, Dane Millard like, or Steph Curry, one of those guys, we have to have someone at the level of the screen. And then if the other team is bad at attacking hedging, like Portland was against the Lakers in the 2020 bubble playoffs, then you're fine to hedge. We saw the Lakers soft hedge, hard hedge, and Terry Stotts out on his hands. Yusuf Nurkic couldn't hit short roll passes, and they really struggled. And so that worked. But Golden State's not them. They, they know how to, how to attack that. So then you have to go to, all right, we can't do this. We can't do that. What else can we go to? The high drop with AD, that works well. Or you can decide to switch if they're kind of stringing that drop along laterally. So it's there's almost a, a flow chart and it can look so many different ways based on who your personnel, who the other team personnel is, and uh, also the scheme that they use. Because for me, at least, attacking drop and attacking hedging, I'm really attacking everything, but those two specifically, how you do it schematically can really, really improve uh, how effective you are, regardless of what your personnel is. So it's it's tricky, and that's where I'd recommend if people want to learn more, they 
they check out the X's and O's session stuff that I put up in the Discord at the uh, courtside tier. But yeah, it's it go, Steph Curry causes a lot of problems for opposing coaching staffs be, between his skill set, Draymond Green's passing skill set, and the shooting and cutting they have around it and the scheme that they run. It's really tough to find, like, there's no, like, obvious right answer. And so at times you just kind of have to concede giving up Dinwiddie uh, against Steph if he's hunted or AD against Steph. And AD's phenomenal defensively, but you know, ideally you're able to keep the right matchups, not because we're worried about AD sticking with Steph, but now AD's away from the rim. He can't defend if, if Golden State attacks elsewhere. He's not able to rebound if Golden State attacks elsewhere. Or Golden State, we saw them attacking the Lakers, switching by feeding the post. And then we saw the Lakers have to double team like wings in the post because they had guards guarding them or Trace Jackson Davis guarded by a, a point guard. Like those aren't great outcomes for the Lakers. And we saw Golden State feast between their post split cuts and then the Lakers doubling in the post and them running good action off of it. They scored 1.64 points per possession on 11 post-ups for a team that almost never posts up, but because the Lakers were switching that opened that door and, and Golden State was ready to take advantage of it. And it was helped even more by the fact that the Lakers were often face guarding Steph Curry. And so his man wasn't even trying to rotate and help. So if the Lakers double teamed, they had one less engaged help defender on the weak side to help you know recover on a pass out and we saw that directly lead to several good shots with how golden state would position stuff kind of in the middle of the weak side offensive players and just kind of break the chain of rotating overall i thought they gave it their best shot making wasn't quite there they competed in the first half it took a steph superstar performance in the first half to really even keep them in that their role players really didn't come on till much later. Wiggins, you know, Draymond, you know, doing Draymond defense stuff as usual, but they were really struggling without Steph on the court. And I think based on the first two matchups, a tough game, the game before this, you know, taking them to overtime, Lakers pulled that out. Pretty comfortable victory in the first one. Now, I, I think overall, how do you feel about the Lakers Warriors matchup if they were to meet up in the play in? I feel good. I feel good, and part of why I feel good has to do with what we've seen from this coaching staff against Golden State in the past regular season and the playoffs. We haven't seen it as much this year, but assuming the Lakers are healthy at the time, I think they would be very well equipped and have the right personnel to deploy the strategy we saw them go to last year where they were trying to top lock a good bit with the off-screen stuff and sag AD off. And so if Golden State tries to cut against the top locking, AD's there. And you're daring Draymond and the uh, you know the other poor shooters for Golden State to hit a lot of shots. And actually, in this game, Draymond, Moody, and Kaminga went three for seven on on their threes. Which, hey, nine points on seven shots—that's great offense. But if they missed one more shot, and now they have six points on seven shots, that's not good offense. So I, I like the—I don't mind the approach from the Lakers sagging off of the non-shooters. But that is something that just is inherent and built in with this Golden State team. That is makes it a little bit easier. And we've seen the Lakers deploy good strategies against them in the past in that sort of environment. Now, Golden State had counters and the Lakers adjusted to those counters. And so it was a really good chess match, actually, last playoffs between these teams. But I feel like we've seen what Golden State has to throw out there. And having a team with like Anthony Davis as your defensive anchor sets you up really, really well to defend a lot of what Golden State wants to do in ways that a lot of other teams just aren't equipped to be able to handle. So defensively, I feel 
confident because of what we have already seen from the staff and some of these key players. And then offensively, you know, the Lakers were able to get what they wanted whenever they ran good sets or whenever they ran sets in general, it wasn't just, Oh, run the right place. It was just run place and uh, get healthy. The freelance offense will be better. I'm not worried about like the size of golden state defending AD down low all that much. And so I think it's a favorable matchup for LA in a lot of ways. Hopefully it's the seven and eight and not the nine and 10. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're talking Spencer Dinwiddie as a whole. We mentioned him a little bit because, you know, again, small sample. He's had three games for LA. But what have you thought of him so far? You mentioned, you know, he's just kind of spacing. The chat, just so you know, is uh, the play is now called the wide pin witty. That's what they want. They call for the wide pin witty uh, with Spencer setting the screen for AD. That's the wide pin witty. That's phenomenal. (laughs) This is the chat is always on point and something that if you're just listening to the pause or only consuming the Twitter content, you are you are missing out. The uh, the playback streams are a blast. Shout out to Jack, uh, the the nickname King. Uh, tight pin witty works well with that as well. So all of the mm-hmm. the Spencer memes uh, puns have been going off. But anyway, he started to get more incorporated into the offense. I think they they kind of spammed AD Spencer pick and rolls for a little bit there in that uh, second half. As, you know he he was in foul trouble. He was struggling to get involved, but it's been slowly but surely showing. He's a guy who can finish through contact. He's a little bit, a little bit more of a burst in his step, just getting to the lane than I expected. Um, you know, made some late shot clock pull up threes that are kind of like, oh damn! Like it's nice to have a guy that can even make that shot. You know, so I don't know what what's your thoughts on the Spencer Dinwiddie experience so far? Because I don't know where the Lakers would be without him right now. Yeah, they'd be in a really tough spot. If they were down four or five rotation players game after game after game and then didn't have this sudden boost of talent and and capability with him, 
we would be, you know, possibly looking at an extra loss or two in these past three games. He he's been good. I've liked how they've used him. I like, you know, defensively what we have seen from him and, and how he would fit in. And I think we'll learn more about that as the team is healthier and they, they get back some of like literally all five of the guys that weren't playing yesterday are all switchy defenders and would fit into a switch scheme. So as you know, Wood and LeBron and, and Vando and, and uh, Reddish get back, Gabe eventually, like we'll start to see a little bit more of what the ultimate design looks like with him defensively. But offensively, we have seen him be off ball, like you said, more so in the beginning. He's still doing a bit of it now, but he's fit in. And, and he is a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, as we talked about. Right now, he's one for five on his catch-and-shoot spot-up threes. If he were two for five, 40%, we'd say, great, that's awesome. He's doing what we want to see. So it's he's you know he's just fine off ball. And on ball, he's been phenomenal. He's been running a lot of pick and roll and has made good reads. He's scoring well. His pick and rolls overall from a scoring uh, efficiency standpoint, including his passing, have been uh, scoring 1.5 points per possession, 98th percentile. Really, really good stuff. And so that is great to see. He fits into the stats, and I think a lot of the downhill stuff specifically with those step-up screens coming from like the Ram action works really well for a guy like him. And between how he is able to just space off-ball He's got that ISO juice. Like we've seen him take and make some really tough shots when it, it has had to happen. Like it's just another guy that raises the floor, raises the ceiling. And we've also seen the slotting of him more on ball result in Reeves be able to transition more to a role like he had last season. We, we've seen his cut frequency go up. We've seen his off ball screen frequency go up. We've seen his spot up frequency go up a bunch. And we've seen his pick and roll frequency drop. And so Reeves is still capable in, in those on-ball areas. But now, instead of needing to do it a lot more, it, he's able to get easier shots, which is good for him. It's good for the Lakers offense. And Dinwiddie has kind of slotted guys from a role standpoint into a good place where I think it adds an extra gear to this Lakers offense. And once we get to see it healthy with this continued level of scheme, I really, really think this can be a super explosive group offensively. Yeah, it's pretty much everything he laid out last pod about, you know, the the impact he would bring, who's winners and losers. We still saw Max out there. They were throwing out because of the injuries, like this Max, Austin, Spencer, Tory, and 18 lineup. Mm-hmm. So it's just the fact that he could be a little bit of a wing stopper and play that lineup is uh yeah, it it's a band-aid on a wound might not might be too big for a band-aid, but it's a band-aid nonetheless. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Lakers are trying to piece things together right now, but get just a couple of these guys back in healthy. You don't need to be fully healthy. And we don't expect that. Like that's not when we complain about injuries, I'm not here complaining like, oh no, we've had Gabe Benson out all year. Like obviously him being back would be help would would be super helpful. But we've seen the team down three, four, five guys uh in recent games. And that recently we've seen that kind of compromise the size of lineups you're able to throw out there. And so get LeBron back, get Wood back. Like, I don't know how much Max Christie is going to end up playing now that Dinwiddie's into the mix. And we've seen him Reeves and D'Lo just pretty much completely consume those backcourt minutes. And I think rightfully so they're, they're all three of them are excellent players and offensively all super, super valuable but it's uh, there, there will ultimately be some losers. It's hard to tell right now who exactly that is because 
the injuries have muddled things and we've seen the Lakers need to throw out some weird lineups, but it's a good problem for LA to have. And now all of a sudden, when you do have more injuries, you know, you've got an extra capable guy. It makes life a lot easier. You're not needing to play Skylar Mays. You're not needing to play Dylan Windler unless it's, you know, garbage time fourth quarter, which is good because before Dinwiddie was signed, those, you know, immediate couple games before that, we were seeing some of those guys need to play actual rotation minutes. And earlier in the season, we'd seen like Des Moines Hodge need to be out there a little bit. We'd seen JHS need to be out there a little bit. And you don't have to worry about that anymore. They they just cut off a fairly light part of their schedule, Tim. I agree. I think Dinwiddie's been everything you've kind of expected him to be. I don't know. Before we move on from Dinwiddie, is there any other like now that you've seen him a couple games, seen him play with the guys, like he is the lob creator guy. I want to find out how to unlock that more because there's a couple times he's throwing it up to Jackson. Jackson wasn't even thinking he was going to get a lob there, and he has to jump late and save it, but he still gets a good look at the rim. So mm-hmm. I think Dinwiddie's helped Jackson. AD's gotten some lobs from him. Uh, how else yep. can Lakers exploit that uh, uh, vertical space with Dinwiddie? Oh, absolutely. That's that's a great thought. So let's think about what, what could the defense be in. If they're switching, getting step-up screens where the screener is kind of screening Dinwiddie's defenders back, and then now he has that inside position on, on Dinwiddie's defender who's now guarding Hayes or AD or whoever it is, that position sets you up well for those lobs. Dinwiddie then also has the burst to engage his new defender and not allow that guy to try to play both. And so step up screen, Dinwiddie burst downhill, take his man with him. Hayes has the inside position, throw the lob up. Like those those spread step ups, which is how LA likes to attack switching in general, he fits perfectly into and even better than Reezer Delo because he has the on-ball downhill juice. So Boom, right there. If they're in switching, that's what you do. If they're hedging, I want to get double screening actions. I want horn setups or Chicago action where there's a, a down screen into a handoff or double drag where you've got the two ball screens one after another. Anything that involves kind of two screeners and pulls the defense away from the paint so that when Dinwiddie's on ball looking to attack downhill and the defense is looking to contain with Hayes' man in that hedge, Hayes is able to get downhill and there's, there's a less help defense. Um, so those sorts of plays will be great to uh, open up lobs to roll men. And we saw Golden State go to some of those against the Lakers hedging last night. We've seen the Lakers use these concepts. So it's not new stuff for the playbook. It's just that Dinwiddie's skill set as a downhill attacker sets him up just a little bit better than some of those other guys to make those plays effective. And he certainly is very willing to throw that lob as we've seen. And then against drop, you know, see drops a tougher spot. If you're in drop and you're trying to get that lob, really what I think you need to be leveraging is stack action or Spain pick and roll where you have, and and the Lakers get to this a couple different ways. Sometimes they've just got a guy standing under the rim to start the play. Other times they'll have the guy who would be coming off of that tight pin down, reject it first. And now he's under the rim. And then the guy who was about to screen for him, we'll say it's Jackson Hayes turns around and screens for Dinwiddie instead. And so Dinwiddie's driving off the ball screen, looking to attack downhill. And as Hayes is is rolling, whoever that shooter was, will say, I don't know, Austin Reeves or or Torian Prince or D'Angelo Russell or Max Christie, they, under the rim, run up and set a back screen on Hayes' man so that the dropping defender can't 
play no man behind drop and, and protect against the lob. And that's going to open up some lob opportunities. Um, we have seen the Lakers utilize stack in multiple different ways, way more recently over the past, I don't know, I'd say dozen games than we have seen throughout the rest of the season, like combined. Um, I'll try to pull the numbers on that right now. Cause I have that all tracked, but they already have the right stuff in the playbook that if they just plugged Dinwiddie into those, no matter what the defense is in from a coverage standpoint, we are going to see him have good opportunities to throw some of those lobs. Let's see here. Yeah. So the Lakers over the past, even just the past seven games, they've had 11, 13, 14, 19 different times they've run stack in the past seven games. And over the first 50 games of the season, they had only run it 21 times. So we are seeing the frequency, the volume of that concept, that Spain pick and roll jump tremendously recently. And it's just the perfect fit for getting Dinwiddie in those situations to create those lobs. And I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way. He's been feeling it out on the Lakers, been not as aggressive as he could be trying to make the right plays, you know, not be too selfish with the the shot selection and, I think he has an opportunity to, like you're saying, getting downhill, really getting that Kobe assist off the rim. Because if you can even get a reasonable kind of look at the rim, even if it's contested, if you can get it off, get it on the rim, there's a good chance AD's rolling with a clear lane for an easy putback attempt. You know, if it, as long as it's not a wild attempt that goes, you know, big momentum off, if it's just coming off the rim and it's pretty much like anywhere on that like three quarters of a side where AD can get to it. It's such a good look, even though it could be a contested rim shot attempt. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. It seems like a a good way to get AD clear of bodies. Yeah, no, it is not just you. And in general, in the NBA, looking at the data, we see the highest percentage of offensive rebounds off of shots at the rim. And then the further you get away from the the rim, the fewer offensive rebounds the offense is able to get. So especially with a guy like Dinwiddie that's able to gotcha. at first, he will engage that that anchor big. That's going to force yeah. the defense to need to rotate over and then get in front of AD or get in front of yeah. AD to keep them off the board. So yeah, even even if he doesn't necessarily score while he's creating those, you know, self-created shots at the rim, like there is inherent value because of, you know, the the fact that those are high quality shots in general. All things considered, they are shots you're more likely to draw fouls on, which is really good. And then, to your point, they're more likely to get those offensive rebounds. And that is good in general. Added into any of those concepts I just talked about, where you're kind of manufacturing that yeah. positioning for your big man, yeah. you're going to get more offensive rebounds. So, yeah, the, the personnel is there. The Lakers have the right weapons to really do some damage between rolls and putbacks moving forward and have already been one of the most active teams in the NBA at feeding their role, man. So I think we can start to see a transition away from some of the AD kind of pick and sit and then catch the ball around the elbow offense. And I think you're going to be able to see more AD rolling hard because Dinwiddie's attacking hard and getting downhill and that resulting in lobs and some really good putback opportunities. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, it's been exciting. It's simple to be excited about just him running more pick and rolls, but he's firing skip passes to the corner, Tam, creating all kinds of good looks, more of a seasoned playmaker than Austin. And, you know, he'll make some bad reads too. Don't get some turnovers, but 
the other game, it was the fouls. He was playing physical, you know, fouling the smaller guards of Golden State. And some of them were ticky tack. Some of them were, you know, a little extra aggressiveness because he's trying to play well for his new team. But I liked what I've seen. He's tried out there. He's caring. Great free addition. Yeah, we, we've got a, a cerebral player that on ball, off ball is able to operate defensively. He's not a liability in the way that a lot of other players are that have the capability yeah. he has offensively. And so it's just, it's he's so easy to fit in, in a lot of ways, in a lot of line, lineups on both sides of the court. And, you know, got to keep it up. And he's got yep. to continue to integrate into the offense. And be able to be more center stage within some of these actions because ultimately the Lakers will be better when they're able to, you know, not just run plays and have him stand in the corner, but run plays with him being the trigger man, making the decisions, being the one attacking downhill, really utilizing his full skill set. And we're starting to see more of that, but there's definitely room for growth. And it's just good that he's the type of player that allows the Lakers to still be good even when he's learning things and needing to stand around in the corner. Like there are a lot of players who are worse at spacing, worse at catching and shooting, worse at attacking a closeout than Spencer Dinwiddie is. And it would have made this transition period, which very much does exist and it's happening harder to work through than, than he has made. So it's such a great pickup, such a find from the front office to be able to, I mean, not, not necessarily a find, like this was an obvious one to go for, but being able to, yeah, to him the fit and you know finish the deal close on that deal I think is really where I want to give Rob Palenka credit and I know Christian Wood was texting him every day or whatever he said I know LeBron reached out so it was a, a group effort but a phenomenal addition at no price and we're immediately seeing dividends with it even without the full form of Dinwiddie defensively within those lineups that are switch here in the full form of Dinwiddie offensively being, you know, having a higher percentage of his plays being on ball and, and being that guy rather than standing in the corner as Reeves or Christie or, or someone else is doing it. I love it. I'm excited. And that kind of brings me to thinking, Tim, what is reasonable for this team? What's a reasonable expectation? Maybe with a dash of exceptionalism uh, sprinkled in. Obviously, the injuries are the thing that is the hardest thing to tackle so far this year for this team. But having passed the trade deadline, getting a week off, you know, being able to reassess, take, take a step back, come back to it. Lakers were in a good place, but they have a very difficult schedule as far as in the sense of the quality of teams that they're playing. Now, we were talking before the show about them having four back-to-backs, but them actually having an advantage in terms of in comparison to the other team, right? Yeah, like there are some back-to-backs where both teams are on a back-to-back, and so it's kind of a a neutral situation. And so the Lakers do have a couple of those which mitigate the the negative impact, or at least both teams are playing on, on level playing field. And if the Lakers are healthy at that point in time, which they may not be today, but for some of these other back-to-backs, if they are just missing, you know, one or two guys, and now you have a, quite a stable of players that's been able to, you've been able to rely upon, like you should be able to have better legs and and have more energy than other teams that, you know, they've got their core eight, nine man rotation they've been working with all year long. And now those guys are just super tired. The Lakers have probably like, 13 guys they have been able to kind of work up a level of comfort utilizing 
by the, you know, if they're, if they get just a little bit healthier at this point. So yeah, that, that definitely helps. Um, we do play, you know, San Antonio at home tonight. They're a bad team. Both teams are on the second night of a back-to-back. And so right. that is a game the Lakers should win. Phoenix on Sunday, away game. Phoenix is a good team, but keep an eye out for the injury report because Bradley Beal and Yusuf Nurkic are both currently doubtful for today's game on Friday. We don't know if they'll be available on Sunday. If those two guys are both out, that is a, certainly a winnable game. That's and third then you've game got the Clippers too. on the road, and, and that's basically a home game as well. Yeah, third game in four nights too. That's a good point. Yeah. But so, yeah, no, after that, you come back for Washington. And then, boy, March 2nd, that's really where the stretch gets tough. And even though these are these are all at home, you got Denver, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, Milwaukee, Minnesota. Five games against top teams. Now, Milwaukee's, you know, not the same. Maybe uh, quality as the record might reflect, right? They're beatable. They're, they've been up and down, uh, mostly down since Doc took over, but never discount Dame and Giannis. The Thunder, Lakers have played well against them, but Sure, the Thunder are gonna want to have to come in, have something to prove. See, Lakers got some great shot making in some of those games. Mm-hmm. Like they are second night of a back to back for OKC. They they will not okay. be rested for that game, so that does help a little bit. That that helps. And then the Kings, Lakers uh, couldn't beat them early in the season. Haven't seen them in a bit, but was it a tough couple games? Lakers lost. Uh, Milwaukee. Uh, I don't think Lakers. Lakers haven't played Milwaukee yet, right? So yeah, they have to go to Milwaukee at the end of March. Yeah, that's going to always be a tough one to guard Giannis. Now that with Dame and then Minnesota, Lakers lost a couple in Minnesota in pretty close games actually. So I'm looking ahead, Tim. And if you do the win loss game, if I'm being realistic, I'm coming out to 15. I'm trying to be positive, realistic. You know what I mean? Optimistic, as you mm-hmm. will, not unreasonably. 15 wins, maybe. In these final 25? Yeah, I, I was at like 14, 15 is around where like I feel pretty comfortable with that. It, there are some where you're like, yep, that's a win. And then there are a handful where you're like, well, I think we could take one of these three or one sure. of these two or two of sure. these four. If the Lakers, like this season, when the Lakers have been rested, healthy and running organized offense, they've been a damn good team. For much of the rest of this season, they will be rested. The health thing, you again, we never know. But LeBron would, they should be back soon. Reddish should be back sometime soon. If you can get to the point where you're only missing Gabe and maybe Vando, like that is a, that's healthy. That's healthy enough. And the organized offense bit of things is exactly where we need it to be right now. And it is on the rise. And so, like, I can see this Lakers team, especially with these games at home, not having to travel much from a mile standpoint the rest of the year. Like they could absolutely get on a roll and win a lot more than 14 or 15 games and impress people and surprise people. And that absolutely would not, you know, that wouldn't surprise me, especially now that they've got Dinwiddie as well. Like that's the extra little boost that I think this team needed. If those things click into place and that's really as simple as it's needed to be so far for them this season, they're a really, really good basketball team. Like they, they did lose to Minnesota twice earlier this season, once by two points in a game, they ran organized offense 38% of the time, the lowest of any game on the season. I'm sorry, second lowest of any game on the season. And then another game, they lost by seven points on the second night of a back-to-back 
running organized offense 44% of the time. They're in like the high 50s right now. They're nearing 60% these days. And those games are not going to be second night of a back-to-back. And they've got Minnesota at home. And so like, and they've got Dinwiddie if they're healthy. This is a team that nobody should want to play, but also hasn't been able to consistently string together wins in a way where I feel really confident saying like, oh yeah, you should win 18 of 25. So if I had to guess, I think 14 or 15 seems likely, but me trying to project forward, if there's health and if you continue to run scheme at a high level with this level of talent, I think you can win like 18 or 19 of these. And and that would be more of a high-end outcome. But there's, I think this schedule is actually a little bit easier than it may look, uh, or grades out a little bit easier than it would look just because so many of these games are at home. Lakers, Lakers have the 13th toughest remaining strength of schedule. But I think if you just look at the quality of opponents, it's probably like top five. It's just that they have a lot more home games. They benefit from like OKC is, is not going to be rested in their matchup. They're going to play the Kings in a game where the Kings aren't rested. They get Atlanta on Atlanta's second night of a back-to-back. They're not good. But it, that helps when you play OKC and when you play Sacramento. Not the time you're talking about, but a few games after that stretch. So I think 18 is within the realm of the possible, and I'd say that's high end, but probably like 15, I think, is a, a safer bet for sure. So if you look around the West, and it sucks we're doing standing watch, but we're, we're at that point, and maybe we can talk about how the Lakers can put together you know, a plan to try to go 15 and 10 to try to get to. The number I'm looking at now is say we're being generous, right? Give them 15 and 10 record here. They're 45 and 20 and 37, excuse me, at the end of the season. The Kings are right now 32 and 23 for the rest of the year for the Kings to get to that, you know, for for Lakers to pass them. Basically, they don't have the tiebreaker for the Kings just to meet that. They'd have to go 13 and 14 the rest of the season. Now, if you go one above that, that's the seven mark. That's the Suns. They're 33 and 23. They're tied with Dallas at six, but mm-hmm. Dallas beat them last night. They have the tiebreaker right now. And I think for the rest of the season. So that, that's Phoenix and Dallas. Count them as both 12 and 14. They'd have to go. Now, you factor in like all these teams need to do that for the Lakers to get the six. I think aiming for that seven spot is probably the best. We're in the same place as we were. Time is a flat circle. True Detective is still on TV, and I can say that unironically. <laughs> yeah, we were here last year, and what we saw <laughs> was the Lakers really turn it up towards the end of the season. They were pretty healthy. They were running scheme at a good level. They got on a roll. They weren't able to get to where we would have loved in the standings just because they set themselves behind for the rest of the season to start. And but they but they got into the playoffs at a point in time where they were clicking and we saw that team make the Western Conference Finals. And I think this year is lining up to be similar where even if the Lakers win 15 or 16 or hell, maybe they could win 18 games. But the Kings and the Suns and the Mavs don't, you know, absolutely have an awful couple months here. You can still end up with a good record, but still behind a game or two and and in that seven, eight matchup, or maybe even that nine, 10 matchup. So it's, it's definitely tough. I think Tom, what helps is rest of the season. Phoenix does have the toughest schedule. Dallas has the seventh hardest Sacramento, the ninth hardest. So it's not 
completely out of the realm of the possible. I, the Pels are just ahead of them as well by like half a game. And any of those four teams, you probably need like two of them to really, you know, hit a, a rough stretch, either playing tough teams and or some injuries. And Phoenix right now may be approaching that. We'll see if, if Beal and Nurkic are healthy, but you're going to need a little help. You can't just play well and, and be given the six seed here. Right. To your point, add a couple games to that. Say Sacramento goes, you know, they'd have to go like freaking 15 and, you know, 13. They're still probably going to do better than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But you never know, Tim. This is the time of year. A lot, sometimes injuries happen, shakes out, affects the rest of the postseason. Sometimes, you know, there's no major injuries or or it's pretty even. Sometimes, you know, Zion goes out. I got to say, I'm surprised the Pelicans are still up there. I, Genuinely thought they would have fallen, had a rough stretch, but they just look like a solid team. Very beatable, not a threat, really. Yeah. I, like, I look at these teams and I'm not scared of them. Sure. If the Lakers were to play them, but I also res- respect them and know that they're good teams and know they're probably not going to fall apart to finish the season. And, and I think that's the way that I would be looking at this. Like, yeah, we, we could take them down, but I, I still don't think they're going to win, you know, 40% of their remaining games on the year. I think you could see we're at that point where the top four are separated now by like three games, I think. Maybe two and a half, fewer. Uh, yeah, you know? two and a half. Uh, Minnesota's up top, OKC's a game behind, and then the Clippers and Nuggets are two and a half behind the Timberwolves. You got Denver up there with some some inexperienced teams. Well, the Clippers aren't inexperienced, but you know what I mean. They those There's inexperience, and then there's the experienced teams. I think all of them could start jockeying and maybe do a little bit of schedule maneuvering toward the end of the year. If they're all, I, I think those four are pretty much grouped, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's it's going to be really tough for the Pels to catch Denver or or the Clippers. Right. So like I think the top four is solidified, and it's just a matter of what order they finish in. Right. And then the next, you know, Pelicans, Mavs, Suns, Kings. That group is it has some separation. And then the Lakers and Golden State are in that 9-10 grouping. And for the Pelicans to reach Denver, I, I think it's very unlikely. For the Lakers to reach the tier above them would be hard, um, but possible. But it's, I don't know, I'd say the most likely outcome for LA is, is finishing like nine at this point, given just where the standings are. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Lakers got to put it together, man. Mm-hmm. And it would be uh, really meaningful for them just to get to the eight. Like the difference between eight and nine is huge because yeah. if you're nine, 10, all right, let's say the standings are where they are right, right now. You play the warriors, you get them at home. If you lose that game, your season's over. If you win that game, you then have to play on the road, either in Phoenix or in Sacramento, or maybe in Dallas or maybe in new Orleans, you have to win that game also just to have the right to play the number one seed. So like, needing to go two out of two rather than just being able to win one out of two games. Like let's say the Lakers are able to get to the eight seed. They play one game on the road. Maybe they don't win it. They now get a second game and a second opportunity and they just need to win that second game. So being able to have, you know, just that little bit of wiggle room can make a big, big difference. And so that's why having LeBron available, having AD continue to be available, getting the scheme to, to, stick where it's at or even improve from here getting some of these other guys back is going to make a big difference just between eight and nine don't don't take that little bit for granted it's still a disappointing year 
you wanted to be a top six seed, but, and I don't think that dream is necessarily dead, but at this point it's, I think yeah. gunning for the eight is, is really where you got to focus your energy. Barring some catastrophic injury luck, I think the six seed dream is dead. Or maybe it's a dream. It's still a dream. It's mm-hmm. a real dream now. Well, like And like Tom, like we've seen Phoenix for a big stretch of the year not play that well just because they weren't true. So and they, injured. Like we've seen what they look like injured. And that's true. So that's easy to see. Like if if the pals get a little bit more injured and they actually dealt with some really you know, a ton of injuries early in the year and they've they've been able to fight through it. But any of these teams lose a key guy for two weeks and it could change the standings picture. That's how close a lot of these teams are. Yeah, we'll see. Um, what else can the team do? Okay, so I'm tr- putting injuries aside, right? Keep developing those like variant uh, defensive coverages. I think mm-hmm. they have gotten stronger as they've gone on. Uh, stronger as they go longer, as Darvin Ham always says. Mm-hmm. So I, I've seen that development. I still worry. They still get the first answer wrong a lot, though, Tim. That needs to improve. That out-the-gate game plan, to me, needs to hit the mark on a more consistent basis. And they have been, but I'm just saying, they, there are still games where I, I'm questioning my existence as a Lakers fan. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're certainly not batting a 1,000. There's, there's still opportunity you don't ever want to be starting at a tactical disadvantage in games or, you know, let the other team adjust at halftime or, you know, during a timeout. And then you go three, six, 10 minutes without realizing it and adjusting. I think we have seen them be better about it, but there still certainly is, is room to improve. Uh, I think we're going to need to see the team. Speaking of getting things right the first time, part of, I, I, to me, I think what I'm most upset about this year with how things have been handled is, is, the rotations and like where are we right now i I think the lakers have found something with this like Rui starting lineup i still don't think it's probably their best ultimate group but it to me is clearly better than the group that that had vando in there would have been i I just i do not believe that group was going to get the job done if vando didn't get hurt and stayed healthy and then they put that group out there and it was fool's gold we could be in a worse spot right now potentially in the standings um once he's back what does that do once reddish is back what does that do what you know once uh like reddish vando gabe we've got a bit but you know lebron of course he's going to be playing how do how do they integrate what does it mean for the rotation when you have a more healthy group oh and now we have dinwiddie and we didn't have dinwiddie earlier when we were healthy Dinwiddie hasn't been on this roster when the roster has been healthy so figuring out how they manage it who's in who's out all of that is going to be important. And another element of, of the ceiling for this team that we talked about earlier in the year and then the preseason was when healthy, this is a group where you have a lot of the tools in the toolkit and you can play them situationally to an extent. Yep. We haven't seen them be able to do that because guys are just taking turns getting hurt. And so yeah. you kind of either have to play what's there um, or we've actually seen them, you know, bench some of the guys like Christie and Wood that I, I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of, at least not in those moments within the year with who was available. I think if you bench uh, Christy for Dinwiddie, no, it certainly makes more sense. We need to see him in the staff. Like, I feel more confident that they'll continue to get the scheme part right offensively. Defensively, they've actually done a pretty good job of, you know, working in, getting reps in for a lot of different things. And I feel good about where we are there. It's not perfect, but it's, it's in a good spot. But the rotations, once you get healthy, need to be handled well. You don't have the opportunity to throw out 
a bad starting lineup for six games and, you know, build up a big sample size to be able to evaluate it, you need to make the right decisions the first time there. Um, so tactically and rotation wise, there is no margin for error anymore. That is that is a benefit that you do not have. That is something other teams might have right now because they made better decisions or they were healthier early in the season. Ellie's not there. So you are backs against the wall at this point. Everything has has to be clicking into place, including the shot banking as well, which nobody controls. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a great place to be in, Tom. The ceiling's still there. The hope is the dream is alive, but all it takes is one thing going wrong and the dream is no longer alive. Yeah. I mean, what you said there got me thinking too. Like, I think all the max heads are our friends in chat are max stands. Um, yeah. They, they need to come to terms with the fact that Dinwiddie, at, you know, joining the roster when healthy means Max's effective this is over basically it certainly hampers a any i any ideas of him being a high minute consistent rotation player i think you can still you can still make arguments for him to be the the 10th guy the 11th guy but I'm, if you have delo reeves and dinwiddie take every minute of the one and the two there aren't a lot of situations where you then want to have Christie out there as the three alongside them, but though that, that can work potentially if you have Dinwiddie guarding up, but I don't expect it to be something we see a lot of. And so, yeah, you're, and I'm a big max fan. I, you know, I've, I watched every game of his in college, For uh, sure. like what he's shown us when he's in the right role, I think has been good when he's not in the right role. It has not been good. And that's, you know, just part of his limitation right now with where he is in his career, love the potential for him long-term in the future. But I'm a realist and the right thing right. to do at this point is to make sure Dinwiddie's got that time. And if you're a big Max fan, I think we can acknowledge he's done great things for this team. He stepped up to the plate. Uh, he's, you know, struggled doing things he's not good at. Now that Dinwiddie's here, that opportunity isn't, isn't available the same way it, it was in the past. And to be clear, it's not because I don't like Max either. I'm more talking about how he's been used in the rotation in general this season. You know, we saw him out of the rotation before Dinwiddie was even added when they had more health there at the wings. So I'm just uh, putting a PSA out there to, you know, come cry in our chat and cry on our shoulder together. That, Well, I think that's a good place to stop, Tim. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining. As always, we do these on playback. Go subscribe. Turn on notifications to get told when we do them it's not always the same time every week so we'll do that and check out our youtube page screenshot uh that you are subscribed to that to get into our discord tim and uh and then check out our private discord tiers if you want some more content we'll be doing an extra pod this weekend hopefully get some more questions yeah we'll be putting up that request here in a couple of minutes and then have another second bonus pod up uh sometime this weekend uh shout out to the friends of the pod, uh, TJ Timotaji, Leo, and Green Blue in the arena sponsorship tier. Shout out to Zach Harris, Q Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Omar Romario, Keneal Mason, and Shabugan in the owner's box, and then also to the courtside and lower bowl groups as well. We, uh, I think it's been it's been a fun time to be in the Discord with the team playing a little better. We've, we've got some aspirations here. It'll be an interesting end of the the season. Uh, you know, also having great conversations in there around other sports, other you know parts of the NBA. We've got uh, 
coach in the Discord. Well, I think we have several coaches in the Discord, but one specifically who's had some some fantastic success this season and uh, has been, you know, people have been fanboying his team in there and, and asking if they can buy merch and stuff like that and watching film of of his team. And so it's been fun to take this group and what it cares about and what it, what it's good at and see it applied to not just the Lakers, which is which is a bunch of fun and it's always great to support our own. So thank you to everyone who makes that community what it is. And we hope if you're listening to this and you're not part of it, that you consider joining. And if you don't like it, you can, you can leave. Um, but I, I think it'd be worth a shot if you're looking to increase, enhance your experience as a Lakers fan, just consuming this team and, and the individuals, the team collectively, the coaching, the X's and O's, the data, all that good stuff. It's a great place to be. hundred percent. Love to hear it. Well, thank you, everybody. I'll be on tonight for the game. Join us on Playback as always. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.